0: Chapter seventeen of Prodigal Daughters by Joseph Hawking. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Kate Fallis. Chapter seventeen Jim Barnes Takes A Licking Four days later, Colonel Trelawney sat with his son John in the old playroom at Hampstead. Both were evidently tired and anxious the colonel looked ten years older than when he had arrived in england two weeks before his face was ashy pale deep creases were around his eyes and lines which indicated suffering marked his face it was now late at night and the house was in silence we seem to be beaten my boy said the colonel sadly john noted the look on his father's face and sighed yes dad we have made no headway he admitted and as far as i can see there is nothing more we can do no unless we put the whole thing in the hands of a private detective i cannot do that said the colonel starting to his feet and striding round the room i simply can't john it would mean that the whole business would get into the newspapers and that i could not bear besides think of telling one's family affairs to one of those fellows yes it's a bit sickening i admit but they are up to all sorts of dodges that we should never think about well sighed the colonel after a long silence the girls have defied us and so far they have beaten us you see we have hardly had any data upon which to go it is like searching for the proverbial needle in a haystack how can one find two girls amongst seven million people i believe that cory woman knows where they are in spite of her denials remarked john possibly but what can one do she says she knows nothing and i have no means of forcing her to speak as for the barnes people i have no doubt they know more than they will confess is there nothing you could advise my son john shook his head if you refuse to hire a private detective i don't see that there is he replied we have followed up every possible clue but don't bother too much dad we shall know in time yes but not until it is too late your mother's heart is breaking my boy that's what is troubling me think of the ruin of those two girls as you know dad i don't take the same view as you do about it at least as far as eleanor is concerned And more than that, I do not believe she would allow any real harm to come to Peggy. As I have told you before, Eleanor has any amount of brains, and, in spite of all her advanced talk, is as cold as an icicle. Hark! What's that? It sounds like someone at the front door, replied John. There, that's a footstep on the drive. The colonel looked at his watch it's nearly midnight he said who could be here at this time of night he went into the hall as he spoke and looked eagerly round there was nothing to be seen he opened the front door and looked into the night but no one was visible i see nobody he said aloud yet i am sure i heard a footstep "'Yes,' said John, eagerly. "'So did I. "'Ah, here's a note lying on the white marble.' "'He picked it up and handed it to his father. "'Colonel Trelawney noted the writing on the envelope "'and moved quickly back to the room where they had been sitting. "'It's from him,' he said, as he tore open the envelope. "'From Barnes?' asked John. "'The Colonel did not reply.' his eyes were fastened on the sheet of paper. John watched his father's face as he read, saw the look of anger that flashed from his eyes, noted the compression of his lips. Evidently, he read the letter more than once, and then stood, gazing into the fireplace with unseeing eyes. "'Any news, Dan?' asked the boy. "'Read it,' was the reply." as he passed the note over to john dear colonel trelawney the note read of course you have been wondering what has become of your daughter peggy doubtless too bearing in mind our interview in the army and navy club you will have connected her disappearance with me although we parted on rather unfriendly terms i am willing to discuss the situation with you either at your own house or at any other place or time you may care to mention if you are reasonable we can no doubt come to an amicable settlement but for peggy's sake as well as your own i should advise you to fall in with the idea of an interview if you do not you will only have yourself to blame if matters turn out unpleasantly and your family pride is badly hurt it is largely a matter of indifference to me but i thought i would give you this opportunity of coming to terms yours sincerely james barnes p s any letter addressed to eight by will street will find me what do you think of it asked the colonel john did not reply for a few seconds but his father noted the quivering nostrils and the flash of his usually quiet grey eyes his meaning's pretty plain and the colonel noticed that there was a change in his voice a tone which suggested restrained passion indeed john looked positively dangerous at that moment hitherto his father had looked upon him as a quiet and somewhat unemotional boy one who thought about things carefully but who did not feel very deeply now he saw his mistake his youngest son was showing characteristics of which he had not dreamed. His every movement suggested energy and decision, and he saw how muscular was the lithe form which moved quickly round the room. Dad, cried John, I wish you would let me deal with him. Why? asked the colonel. He's too dirty, too mean, too con- temptable for you to touch your hands must not be soiled by thrashing him leave em to me even although the colonel's mind was torn with anxiety he could not help smiling at the way his son spoke never had he seen so deeply into his nature as then there was such a healthy scorn for meanness such a manifestation of a clean mind such anger and contempt for what was base we'll not talk about that now my son the question at present is what shall we do oh see him have it out with him john spoke through his set teeth but when and where not here cried the boy don't let our house be fouled by his presence again don't under any pretext let him enter our door Would you suggest that he should come to one of my clubs, then? No, John almost shouted. Engage a room at a hotel, and you'll let me come with you, won't you, Dad? Evidently, he has returned to business again, the real estate agent's places in Bywell Street for more than an hour the two discussed the situation and when at length they parted at the colonel's bedroom door their plans were fully made as to their future proceedings is that you lester it was mrs trelawney who spoke yes alice i hoped you were asleep i I can't sleep she moaned i feel as though i shall never sleep again have you found out anything the colonel was silent have you found out anything she repeated and she lifted herself in the bed as she spoke oh please tell me i feel that i am going mad trelawney switched on the light and saw that his wife's face was pale with anguish in her eyes too was a look of terror tell me she cried you have heard something haven't you i got this tonight he said handing barnes's letter to her what does it mean she asked when she had read it through i cannot comprehend it is difficult to tell what it means he replied evasively all i can gather is that peggy is with him and that he wants to come to some sort of terms with me but he says nothing about eleanor no perhaps we shall find out to-morrow you are going to see him then yes replied the colonel grimly cheer up alice things may not be as bad as you imagine at any rate we shall know the worst to-morrow his wife burst into violent sobbing oh think of it lester think of our little peg being associated with a low brute like that think of all the loving care we have bestowed upon her only to throw herself away and ruin her life day after day i have been hoping against hope i have tried to believe that peggy was with eleanor who would save her from marrying such a wretch ''But she is still our child, Lester. She is still our child.'' ''Yes, she is still our child,'' assented the colonel. ''But what are you going to do? Are you going to recognise the marriage?'' the colonel was silent he saw that even now she had not dreamed of the ghastly possibility that haunted his own mind and he would not mention it until he was certain as to what had taken place never had the tragedy of the whole thing appeared to him so strongly as now he was ashamed angered almost heartbroken at the action of his child at any rate she is alive said mrs trelawney presently that is some comfort the colonel made no reply he felt the truth of the old saying that there are some things worse than death in spite of that awful letter went on mrs trelawney i feel a bit happier but oh my husband i am sorry for you it seems as though after all those ghastly years you have come back to something more horrible than the things you had to contend with away in the east and i had so looked forward to your coming too so often i pictured us as a happy reunited pair with our children around us i cannot understand it even yet said the colonel cannot understand what my dear cannot understand this spirit of defiance this utter lack of respect for father and mother as i keep telling you darling it is in the very air we breathe it seems as though the spirit of revolution has not only got abroad in the world of governments but of home life much of the family life which i knew as a girl seems to have gone but why should it be so? asked the colonel sadly. It is because religion is dying, replied his wife. Both Eleanor and Peg refuse to go to church. They have told me they never pray. They have said that the commandments were meaningless to them. Yes, yes, I suppose that's it, he admitted. But think of the ghastliness of it. Think of the time when I used to put them to bed and hear them say their prayers and realize what they are doing now. My God, if this is the march of the times, the progress of the age, the Lord have mercy upon us. I cannot believe they realize the pain they are giving us, pleaded the mother. It's only thoughtlessness anyhow it's a tragedy for us said the colonel i dread to think of the future have you forgotten god asked his wife perhaps i had replied the colonel he marched round the room several times and then knelt by his bedside evidently barnes was regarded as a good business man for although angry words passed between him and his employer he found himself installed in his old place even although he had taken several days leave of absence without the consent of his firm wilkins had asked him a good many questions on his arrival but barnes had been very non-committal in his replies indeed he did not seem at all happy but started at every sound and anxiously observed every stranger who came into the office about eleven o'clock on the morning following the evening on which colonel trelawney and his son had discussed the situation a letter was brought to him barnes opened it almost feverishly and read as follows colonel trelawney will be in room three nine four at the cosmopolitan hotel tonight at seven o'clock when he will give mr barnes the interview he suggests will mr barnes please send a line by bearer confirming this arrangement barnes smiled triumphantly i've got him he reflected i was afraid he might mount the high horse and refuse to see me but evidently he means to be reasonable yet his mind was not easy wilkins who watched him closely saw that he seemed anxious and perturbed he was only able to give half his mind to business and often he gazed with unseeing eyes at the books which lay before him at lunchtime he entered into conversation with a fellow clerk named jenkins with whom he was supposed to be friendly jenkins had also been in the army and although he had not like barnes succeeded in getting a commission he was very ambitious from a social point of view indeed jenkins had cast longing eyes towards the junior partner's eldest daughter and had listened greedily to barnes's accounts of his relations with the trelawney family Soon after six o'clock that evening, Colonel Trelawney made his way to the Cosmopolitan Hotel. He, too, had spent an anxious day, but no one in the war office had guessed the state of his mind. Colonel Trelawney was one of those quiet men who talk little of their private affairs. When he reached the hotel vestibule, he looked eagerly around, as if in expectation of seeing someone, but he was disappointed. "'He saw no one whom he knew. "'He was quickly shown into the room he had engaged, "'and arrived there, "'threw himself wearily into an armchair. "'Evidently the apartment had often been used for small gatherings. "'A table stood in the middle, "'around which was placed six chairs, "'and on which several sheets of blotting paper lay. "'For more than a quarter of an hour the colonel sat alone. "'The room was very quiet.' and was situated in a part of the hotel not much in public use. Presently he heard a quick step outside, and John entered. Five minutes to seven, Dad,' he said, looking at his watch. "'I'm in good time, aren't I? Did you make the arrangements at the office?' "'Yes,' replied the Colonel. "'I told the clerk to have the fellow shown in at once.' "'Good,' said John.' looking around the room with satisfaction again the colonel was impressed by the change which had come over his younger son usually quiet and unemotional he was now alert and almost excited he walked round the room with a springy step and the colonel again noticed the muscular well-knit frame he had there was a depth of chest and a breadth of shoulder which had not been manifest to him before the clock had scarcely struck seven when they heard the sound of voices in the passage outside followed by a knock at the door a moment later one of the hotel servants ushered in two men barnes and another john moved his chair close to that of his father and sat quietly watching his grey eyes looked hard and determined the colonel appeared perfectly calm but his compressed lips and steady gaze showed that he was in no holiday mood. Barnes wore a jaunty air. He had been well primed himself with whiskey before coming, and now felt very valiant. He had rehearsed as much of the situation as he thought necessary with Jenkins, his companion. "'Good evening, Colonel,' said Barnes airily, i got your letter this morning and am here to the tick as you see the colonel nodded but did not speak this is my friend mr jenkins he went on i thought it best to have a third party present you see i did not expect you to bring your son jenkins this is colonel trelawney colonel trelawney this is mr wilfred jenkins i hope you gentlemen will become better acquainted in the future jenkins stepped forward and held out his hand proud to meet you colonel he said but the colonel did not appear to notice the hand he simply nodded barnes looked on awkwardly he had carefully rehearsed what he meant to say but somehow his words did not come easily still he was whisky valiant and, as he had said to Jenkins on his way to the hotel, he felt ready for anything. He had expected, too, that although the colonel might be angry, he would naturally ask where his daughter was, and this would lead up to the things he meant to say. The colonel's silence, therefore, was rather confusing, and made his part difficult to play. I must say, he said at length, in view of the letter i sent you last night i expected you'd meet us alone still i don't mind how are you old thing and he turned affably towards john john's lips quivered but he did not speak he was intently watching every movement of the two men i don't suppose you are altogether surprised colonel barnes went on "'I expect you have found out by this time "'the kind of fellow I am.' "'You suggested an interview,' remarked the Colonel, "'and I have arranged for it. "'Will you tell me what you have to say?' "'Look here, Colonel,' said Barnes truculently. "'Come off the roof, or you'll be sorry. "'I did not come here to be treated like a naughty boy. "'I know what I know on that straight." The colonel quietly took Barnes's letter from his pocket. "'I see by your letter,' he said, "'that you say this. "'If you are reasonable, we can no doubt come to an amicable settlement. "'But for Peggy's sake, as well as your own, "'I should advise you to fall in with the idea of an interview. "'Will you kindly explain that, Mr. Barnes?' barnes was still under the influence of the whisky he had drunk and he also remembered what he had told jenkins concerning his intended mode of procedure he had boasted that he would quickly bring the proud nabob to terms and would show him that he barnes was not a man to be played with oh you persist in taking that line do you he said we're all right "'But don't blame me if things don't turn out to your liking.' "'What things?' asked the colonel. "'What's the use of talking like that? You know well enough. You insulted me at the Army and Navy Club a few days ago. You treated me as though I were a dog, even after you had me up to your place to supper.' I told you then that I was not the kind of man to be treated in that way. I offered to do the straight thing, and you actually rang for a servant to throw me out of the club. Do you think I could stand that? The colonel's face was as immovable as that of the sphinx. I told you went on barnes that if many fellows had been in my place seeing how sweet your girl was on me there would be a bad story to tell i know this mr barnes replied the colonel that in spite of what i have said you persuaded my child to leave home precious little persuading she needed laughed barnes in fact it was she who did all the persuading at this john started to his feet and took a step towards barnes he quickly checked himself however and without a word went back and sat by his father's side again oh yes sneered barnes your high and mighty ways are no good with me i am as good as you are As for persuading Peg to leave home, as I have just said, I had no need to do any persuading. And where is she now? asked the colonel, who had difficulty in speaking calmly. We'll come to that presently, replied the other. I'll tell you this, though. She has been living with me for three days in a little flat I have taken. Well, said the colonel, "'What then?' "'What then? You're mighty cool about it. But I have got this to say to you. You must not blame me for what I have done. I offered you straight to marry her. You refused, and now you must take the consequences.' "'Do you mean to say you are not married?' John again rose from his chair as he spoke. Ha, I have touched you on the quick at last, have I?' and barnes laughed loudly you did not think when you sneered at me and called me a bounder and a low-bred swine that i would pay you out do you mean to say you are not married and john repeated the words again with a quivering voice there was no need for that laughed barnes she was willing to come with me on any terms You're a liar, said the boy. For a moment, there was a silence. Barnes, in spite of his loud protestations, looked uncomfortable, while Jenkins, who had been eagerly watching, first the colonel, and then John, seemed to be in doubt as to his own standing there. Liar, am I, said barnes why what's the use of talking you saw yourself how sweet she was on me besides i made up my mind to pay the colonel out for insulting me he thought i was dirt under his feet didn't he have you brought your witness with you in order to say this to me remarked the colonel not exactly replied barnes still it's just as well that you should know how things are besides i want to do the straight thing even now for a moment the colonel almost lost control over himself straight thing he repeated you do the straight thing yes replied barnes and that's why i brought my friend jenkins here with me he's a gentleman and will not let on Well, what do you regard as the straight thing? asked the colonel. Look here, colonel, said Barnes, adopting a more friendly air. Of course I know you are a bit cut up. Naturally you are, and naturally too, since Peg and I have been living together. I have thought a good deal about your feelings and this is what i have got to say here in the presence of a witness if you'll be reasonable in spite of the fact that i've got the whip hand of you i'll do the honourable thing and make her an honest woman there what do you mean by being reasonable asked john do you wish me to answer him colonel mind i wanted this matter to be kept strictly between ourselves but if you want me to talk freely in his presence i will yes answer him well then i mean this no one need know anything about what's taken place you'll receive me as a son-in-law in a proper way and peg shall be mrs barnes there now what do you mean by receiving you as a son-in-law in in the proper way asked the colonel you know what i mean well enough receive me as you did up at your place that sunday night do the thing handsome help us towards getting a little home and-and there you are i need not say any more and if i won't asked the colonel if you won't and barnes laughed again then don't blame me I have offered to do the honourable thing. I might get tired of her and then-well, perhaps we had better say no more about it. But I don't threaten. Come now, colonel, what do you say? I am no fool. I mean to get on in my business and I'll make her a good husband. No, said the colonel, I will never receive you into my house. What do you mean? You say you'll, you'll, I mean to say and the colonel spoke in low clear tones that i will never admit such a low contemptible creature as you into my house as a relation of mine then you'll let your daughter be spoken of as a stop cried john starting to his feet, "'Dad, I must have a word here. Look here, Barnes, I know why you brought this fellow here with you. You were afraid to meet my father alone. You came here to blackmail him. You came here with a trumped-up story which you thought would deceive him.' "'I have come with no trumped-up story,' replied the other. "'Don't blame me if I drag your sister in the mire.' i am not going to bandy words said john pulling the table to the side of the room one could not with a thing like you but i am going to give you the best licking you have ever had in your life but before i do it i am going to tell you something i said just now that you are a liar you are and the worst kind of a liar you said you were not married to my sister you are there's not much to congratulate her on that but do you think we're fools i've been to somerset house to-day i've been to the registry office where you were married i have seen the books i have seen her signature and yours it's a ghastly business and i would rather see her dead than married to you but still there it is there's something else however you insulted my sister you said you had no need to persuade her to live with you without marrying her i'm going to make you pay for that john my boy cried the colonel is that true it was the first time his father had lost complete control over himself "'Yes, I've not been to the works today. "'I felt sure after I read his letter last night "'that he had something like this in his mind. "'I knew that Peg would not do what he said. "'I knew, too, that Eleanor would see to that. "'But I wanted to make sure, and I gave up the day to it. "'Now, then, Mr. Barnes, strip. "'Oh, no, I'm not going to take any mean advantage of you. "'You have got your friend here to see fair play.' I'm not a baby killer, sniggered Barnes uneasily. You insulted my sister, replied the boy. I know my father is longing to give you a thrashing, but I will not let him dirty his hands by touching you. Now strip, you shall have fair play. And John threw off his coat as he spoke and rolled up his shirt sleeves. Barnes looked first at the colonel, then at Jenkins' what the young gentleman says is quite fair barnes replied jenkins who was altogether thrown off his balance by the course things had taken besides you can give him more than fourteen pounds in weight and you can't back out man i'll see you get fair play the colonel's face was a study the whole interview had been agony to him yet his son's revelation had brought him a sense of relief difficult to describe the thought of her being barnes's wife was horrible to him and yet he felt a sense of satisfaction in what john had said the colonel came of an old fighting stock and he knew that there was only one way to deal with a certain class of individual it is true there was something repellent in the thought of what might be regarded as a vulgar brawl and yet a sense of joy filled his heart as he saw the flash of his boy's eyes. By this time Jenkins had helped Barnes to take off his coat, and was whispering words of counsel in his ears. "'You need not fear, Barnes,' laughed John, who went to the door and locked it. "'As it happens, my father is a sportsman and a gentleman, and he will see fair play, while you, on your side, have your friend with you.' "'But I don't want this.' cried barnes i didn't mean what i said and-and i apologize there i don't accept your apology and i'm going to give you a licking for insulting my sister you thrash me don't blame me if you are in bed for the next week i won't replied john now then mr barnes it was a quite unequal contest john had been in the boxing finals at rugby only a year or so before while barnes was utterly ignorant of the science of boxing besides although he was nine years older than john and perhaps a score of pounds heavier he was in bad condition he carried too much flesh his muscles were soft and flabby and added to this he had been drinking he never once reached his opponent while again and again he fell heavily on the floor before the vigorous and well-aimed onslaughts of the boy have you had enough cried john at length barnes was lying on the floor and did not reply he was stunned bleeding and with the last particle of courage knocked out of him i have not finished with you yet cried john his father had wondered what the parcel john had brought to the hotel contained he was enlightened now however for quick as a thought john produced a fairly heavy horsewhip and while jenkins was too astonished to protest he prevented barnes from rising to his feet now mr barnes said john i have about finished with you but before i kick you out of the room you will tell me where my sister is at this moment i won't said barnes with an oath won't you cried the boy we'll see and the whip fell heavily on his prostrate body help jenkins help cried barnes now then laughed john lifting the whip again Tell me before I give you a few more. Barnes muttered the name of the street and the number. You've got that down, Dad, haven't you? Now then, what's my sister Eleanor's address? Quick! And Barnes spoke. All courage and fight had gone out of him. Good, said the boy. You can get up now. Barnes slowly rose to his feet, aching in every limb, "'half blind, his body stinging with pain. "'It has not been an altogether successful interview for you, has it?' laughed John. "'Now, then, I want to say this to you before I kick you out of the room. "'I shall have my eye upon you, and if you are unkind to Peg, "'or if you are up to any of the dirty tricks of which I know you are capable, "'I will not let you off as lightly as this. "'Now go.' A minute later, the Colonel and his son were alone. End of chapter Seventeen.